Welcome, Bouncer Backers, to this week's episode of Bouncing Back Stronger, the podcast where we explore the incredible power of resilience, personal growth, and triumph over adversity. I'm your host, Sarah Jane Vasquez, and I'm thrilled to embark on this transformative journey with you. Whether you're seeking inspiration, guidance, or simply reminded that you're not alone on your journey, Bouncing Back Stronger is here to support and empower you. We believe that every setback is an opportunity for a comeback, and every challenge is a chance for growth. Let's go. Welcome back, Bouncer Backers, to another episode of Bouncing Back Stronger. Now, today we have Joanne all the way from Virginia to talk to us about grief and loss. Joanne is currently a grief life coach and she's also a psychology professor. So settle down, grab a cuppa and let's dive in. Hi Joe, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm very well, thank you. And very much looking forward to speaking with you about this topic. A topic that I've not really discussed yet in the podcast, but something that I feel is extremely important to discuss because after all, it's going to affect us all if it hasn't already. Yeah, that is true. Unfortunately, All of us will be affected by grief at some point in our life. Yeah. And some of us will be, well, some of us will process it. In fact, probably all of us will process it in different ways. I don't think anybody maybe processes the grief in the same way, you know, as as the next person. It's grief, I think, is a very personal experience to you and to the person who passed away. So you... You became a grief and life coach, Joanne, because of your own experiences with grief. Is that yes. right? Yeah. Okay. So can we start there today so we can sure. have context? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So about, well, it's been almost four years. In 2019, my husband fell ill. We thought it was something very mild and it turned out to be way more extensive than what we were anticipating. And he was in and out of ICU, which is, I don't know what it's called in your part of the world, but it's an intensive unit. Yeah. 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 So it it was just a roller coaster ride of emotions of thinking he's better and then he would get worse and then something else would happen. And then finally they discovered that he had cancer that had been totally missed with any of the scans, tests, all the stuff they were doing for three months in the hospital. They just all of a sudden discovered what was causing everything was cancer. And by the time and, and we went to that, what type of cancer was it that they discovered? It was lung cancer. Did they tell you at what stage it was? They went to do the test to stage it. And the test itself, by the time he went for that test, he wasn't strong enough to actually stand up without passing out. Right. So they literally couldn't even do the test. And so we went to see the oncologist on a Monday and she said she was pretty certain it was stage four and maybe a few months left. Thought he should go on hospice. By the time I got hospice arranged from that Monday, I got hospice in here on Friday and he passed away Saturday. 
it was that fast. Wow. Wow. And what did he first go into hospital with? The very he first was time. Having, he was having stomach cramps, like, yeah. like vomiting and unable to eat. And he had had kidney stones before. So we assumed it was kidney stones. Yeah. And so I took him to just one of the basic ERs and they ran a couple of tests and they noticed that he had, they thought was a clot in his lungs and we had taken a long trip. And then, you know, sometimes with people, if you're sitting in the car for yep. extensive hours and that maybe, or flying for extensive hours, you can yep. develop clots. So they decided to run a full MRI and scan. And next thing I know, doctors and nurses are just racing into the room and they're throwing him in the ambulance, taking us to a major hospital. He'd had a aortic aneurysm that was rupturing. It was literally rupturing while we were there. So by the time we made it is to that, the hospital. Is that in your, in your heart? Is that something that what's. It went, his was actually in a stomach. Okay. So it's the aortic. It, it like goes from the stomach up through into the head. So you can get aneurysms or clots that can lead to stroke and yeah. all of that. So by the time we got to the hospital, the surgeon told us, I mean, they immediately raced him into surgery. And he said, maybe a 50-50 shot that he would survive. He survived. And there was many weeks in ICU. And then he went to physical rehab to gain strength back. And we were excited at how well he had done and how far he'd come. And he finally came home. And then two days after he came home, he had a stroke right back to the hospital. And that's when they started finding blood clot after blood clot after blood clot. And they realized that this, that aortic aneurysm was something completely separate from what was truly going on. Right. Okay. He was just so sick and we had no idea. I mean, we had just gone on a long trip. We had gone to Bush Gardens, which is a big amusement park and it's full of hills and he was walking and doing everything. And we had no idea he was just sick. Oh, I'm just so, so sorry. And particularly because he got over the aortic aneurysm and he came out and perhaps you were both hopeful that he was going to improve and, you know, things were going to get better. And then, you know, rapidly he declined. And then, of course, with lung cancer. Yeah. So, and he I'm was so healthy. Sorry he there, didn't smoke. Yeah. You know, he just, it was completely random. Yeah. So what was it like for you around that time? You know, it's funny. I, when he had the aneurysm and we were in ICU, I, I mean, I stayed at the hospital with him. I slept in the room the whole time. Yeah. I remember one of the nurses telling me, you know, you need to watch out for yourself and take care of you too, because although we're so focused on the patient, mm-hmm. the caregiver often will wind up with PTSD mm-hmm. because of just the constant stress. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it was, he was very close. I mean, we were very close to losing him a couple of times. Yeah. I, they, the nurse would literally sit beside him and watch all of the machines he had. I don't know, probably 30 IVs going into him at one point. It, it just was unbelievable. So the stress of that and then the relief of him pulling through only to have him home and then the stroke and back in and going back through to get it, it just that whirlwind it, the stress level was over the top yeah and quite right what the nurse said there that as caregivers we would often neglect, neglect ourselves and mm-hmm. your own mental health because you're so invested aren't you 
and you're just so willing and hoping that, you know, they're going to pull through. And particularly with the PTSD, perhaps, you said like maybe there's 30 tubes around him. You know, for you to remember that, it's just, oh, it's just unimaginable, isn't it? You know, to see someone so helpless. And especially, she said, only weeks before you've been walking up and down, enjoying a holiday. Yeah. Yes. So can you remember much about after he passed? How long had you been married, Joanne, or together? Oh, my goodness. We met on my 21st birthday. Oh. So we have been together 34 years. 34 years. Such a long time, isn't it? You know, such yeah. a long time. And I, my entire adulthood. Yeah, yeah. So I think of my I own basically, you know, my own yeah. parents, they've been together 50 years. We'll be celebrating this year, which is, oh, uh, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think they take each other for granted one bit because they're so, I think, grateful to still be together after all this time. But yeah, adulthood, children, homes, you know, careers, you name it. You go through everything together, don't you? Each yes. other's I mean, you build a <laughs> Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, when you've been married that long, it's your identity. Mm. You know, you're you're a couple and you count on them for support in everything you do. You you share everything. You're best friends. Yeah. So not only are you married, but you're best friends. And it's kind of like literally your other half. Yeah. Literally. They know you better than anybody because you've spent basically all your life with him. I mean, I was with him more years than that. Yeah. Yeah. And you've grown together, you know, as a 21 year old, you're not the same woman as you are 30 years later. And that, and he wasn't the same man. You grow together, don't you? What's yes. all, yes. you know? Yes. And I mean, he was there supporting me all through when I just on a whim decided I wanted to go to college and grad school and all of that. And he was so supportive and I know you've been to grad school. And when you're in grad school, you basically have no life. <laughs> and you just, just trying to find time to go to a movie is challenging. Because I was teaching at the same time. They make you teach when you're in grad school for a lot of the programs. So I was teaching and doing school at the same time. And yeah, that was a very long period where he was so supportive. He's like, you do what you got to do. And I'll just hang it out until you're done. And he did. Yeah. Yeah. So... Around about the time of his death, did you say that he died in December? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He died three days before Christmas. So three days before Christmas. I know that when anybody dies, the, the timing is never is never right. But three Correct. days before Christmas, I guess, just kind of makes that festive period just somewhat tainted. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't even decorated for Christmas. Yeah. And- so they brought in the hospice bed and some very good friends of mine came over. I guess they brought in the hospice bed on Thursday. He passed on a Saturday. But at any rate, they came over and put the tree up right oh. where he could see it and decorate it for me, which I just was so grateful for. Yeah. So he did have the tree beside his hospice bed. He loved Christmas. Yeah. So then, of course, it was December 2019. Your grieving and then March 2020 the unbelievable happened and along came COVID. Yes along came COVID. Mm. So not only grieving but then also told to 
isolate, Mm -hmm. to stay home, you know, not to be able to do any of the things that they say to do to, you know, help you manage your grief. So how was that for you? Oh my goodness, it was hard. You know, of course, my son and his wife and my grandchildren, we broke all the rules and we continued to get together because I don't blame they weren't going to leave me alone. No, well done. But yeah, so I mean, I did have that connection, but still very lonely, very isolating, unable to see friends. And that's like one of the big supports is just being with people. So I tried joining grief groups online. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, they just, for me, were not a good fit, you know, I would go into them and everybody would share their stories, but it was everybody just responding with how painful or what pain they were experiencing. Uh-huh. There was nothing really providing skills to help. And so I just got to the point where it was kind of like rubbing salt in the wound and I stopped even going into any of the groups and I, I dropped the membership to the groups. Joanne, you were looking for something, well, that was going to give you, I guess, like a toolbox, you know, so when you're feeling like this, perhaps try this, or when you're feeling this way, you know, do this, rather than just listening to people's stories, you know, even though, of course, you were empathetic, even though, of course, you understood, you were perhaps, and I hear this a lot, look, I'm here in this place, I don't want to stay here you know, how Mm -hmm. can I move even if it's just small steps? Correct. Yeah. I also, you know, my background is psychology. You know, I've studied it for years. I knew what I should be doing, but when it's you, it's a whole different world. You know, it's that saying, isn't it? You know, practice what you preach and Sometimes I can give the best suggestions to clients, friends, family. And then sometimes I think, Sarah, why can't you do that to yourself? You know, right. Or in fact, even yesterday I was talking with a guest and he's in his coaching business, but for property, and he's got a very good property portfolio. He'll be on the show soon. And he gave, he said he gave this guy great advice on how to go about this and how to do this and you'll see your fortunes change. And he sat back and he thought, wow, I don't do that, but I should. <laughs> you know? So it, it is, we, you know, we, we may know everything, but it's, it's how we apply it to ourselves. And that's the difficult part. That's that where support comes true. in from others, really. And, you know, I'm not knocking the grief groups that I went oh, no, to. I know, yeah. Everybody was very supportive. It was, I feel your pain, but this happened to me. And, you know, yeah. And then a lot of people are so desperate that they talk about suicidal ideation. And that's the last thing you want to be a part of, because then I found myself worried about them. And the last straw for me was one night, some, somebody said she was going to kill herself. And I mean, I was so worried sitting for hours trying to contact the admin of the group and, you know, trying to do everything I could to save this poor woman. And I still don't even know what happened to her. And that was when I was like, I just can't do this anymore. I need to be in a better place. Yeah. Yeah. So that's That's when I decided. That's a huge responsibility for you and other group members, you know, really. And I hope that that woman got the help that she needed. Because, of course, she needed some professional help there. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yes, very much so. And unfortunately, you hear that a lot in grief groups of people just giving up. I mean, they won't come right out and say, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to kill myself because obviously then, you know, it's our obligation. I mean, like I tell my own grief group, it's in the roles that if you have suicidal thoughts, contact, you know, it's my obligation to contact if you post it and it's your, you know, you need to contact the helpline and do this and that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And of course, as we said earlier, grief affects us all in very different ways. You know, so if you are, you know, experiencing those, and this is to our listeners as well, please reach out for help. You're not alone. Please reach out for help. There is somebody there who will understand and support you through. Yeah. Grief is a very individual journey. Mm -hmm. Everyone will experience it differently. Mm -hmm. It truly depends on so many different factors. It, it depends on your proximity to the person. Did you live with the person? Mm. How long you've been known the person, your relationship with the person. And even though I'm a widow and it was my husband who, who died, my relationship with my husband is very different than another woman's relationship with her yeah. husband. So it's yeah. just such an individual journey. Mm-hmm. The loss of a child, which personally mm-hmm. I can't even begin to comprehend. I know. Because of the you same. know, it, it's, it's, it's just overwhelming and it's essentially a unique individual journey that everyone will have to go through it differently. Yes. But there are tools you can use that everybody can use to help you get through it. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through it. You have to deal with the pain. Yeah. But there are tools that can help you deal with the pain. So you then decided when you came away from these groups because, you know, you you thought, okay, yep, they serve a purpose. But I'm looking for, I, I guess, some some solutions or, you know, some th- ideas or things, something tangible that you can do that, you know, you're helping yourself. So where what, what did you do next is what I'm saying. So as I said, my background is in psychology. And uh-huh. when I went to school, positive psychology movement was really just kind of starting out and it wasn't hugely popular. Yeah, but I kept feeling more and more drawn to it. And that's when I started looking at mindfulness, meditation. I went on and took a bunch of courses in it to become certified. And then I became certified as a life coach. And then I just kept building and building and building and still taking courses. I I just love learning all the different ways to help. But that's that really is where I started learning the tools through the positive psychology movement and the tools to really know how to calm myself. Of course, use some cognitive behavioral therapy, some groundings, you know, just when that anxiety and stress gets to a certain level, learning the proper breath work, all of those different tools are so beneficial. So could you just explain to us a little more about what positive psychology is? Really, it's, it's the movement that, so psychology in itself, so many people think of psychology as a disorder. When they think of psychology, they think of abnormal psychology, you know, and, and things like that. Whereas positive psychology, they look at the positive aspect of humans, the positive aspect of human behavior. And they look at ways to make your life better and happier. It's not about treating those who have a disorder, 
which is a definitely needed area. But the positive psychology is about just making you have a happier and better life. Okay. Okay. And so using the positive psychology together with mindfulness, what kinds of mindfulness tools, strategies were you focusing on? So me personally, when I first started practicing mindfulness, it was really just to kind of ground myself and learn some basic meditation techniques. But then as I started becoming more mindful and practicing more, I realized I was able to overall feel more calm, more focused. I was sleeping better. And mindfulness is about being in the present moment, isn't it? You know, I again, yes. I, I do this myself and I do it with my clients, I even try to do it with my son, you know, sitting in that present moment more in a way I use it. So I'm not going a million miles ahead into the future because I don't know what's happening. Why am I anxious about that? And also going back, thinking about the past, ruminating over the past. So of course, in grief, ruminating too long in the past can bring you down, can't it? It can, you know, make you feel quite, quite low, depressed even to some degree. Well, yes, yes. You know, I would do things probably, I'm sure many people do. I would go through my phone and pull up all of any of the old voicemails that I had from him where I could just hear his voice, you know, spend hours looking at pictures and things like that. I mean, I did all those things that probably everybody grieving does. Well, that can be soothing as well, can't it really? And remembering mm -hmm. the good times and there is definitely room for that. Absolutely. You know, and, and I guess as well in, in grief, allowing yourself to be sad, allowing yourself to, to just sit there, you know, you don't have to fight it. You can listen to those voicemails. You can look at those photographs. It's completely okay. Absolutely. And it's actually therapeutic. You yeah. know, you have to allow yourself to feel the emotions. And mm -hmm. if you bury it and don't deal with it in the long run, it, it can be detrimental. And at some point, it can, you could even develop complicated grief, which I won't even go into because that's a whole other topic. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, you have to go through it to get through it. Mm. Now, that doesn't make sense, but you have right. to feel the pain. It's sitting with um, those emotions, isn't it? And if you're mindful of them, it means that you're not running away from them. And of course, running away from any perhaps emotion or any uncomfortable emotion or feeling we have can sometimes result in negative behaviors, perhaps, perhaps you know, self-sabotaging, perhaps, you know, you know, maybe things like that, that we don't really want to encourage for ourselves. Because we know that's only going to yes. make the matter worse. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, honestly, crying is therapeutic in and of itself. So I, I, I love a good cry, Joanne, sometimes. <laughs> you know, there is scientific evidence mm. that there's different types of tears. I don't know if you've looked this up. I haven't, um, but do tell. Well, I'm not a pro at it. I literally just was, I came across this in one of the journals I was reading and they talked about the different chemicals that are released in different types of tears. And tears, like when you're sad and you're upset, 
they actually release some chemicals that are soothing to you, which is why we often feel better after a really good cry. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. I'm, I'm going to start looking at it more and read some more of the studies, but I find it fascinating that, yeah. Yeah, it is fascinating. Sometimes you do need a really good cry, don't you? So just let it out. And and yeah, I can see I can see how that evidence has come about, really, because I could put on a sad film and cry my heart out. Yeah, it's a different kind of sadness or put something on that's really feel good. Yes, I'm in tears. And my husband will often say to me, are you crying? Oh, I can't believe you're crying. I love people. It's just so nice. <laughs> oh, God, they're so in love or whatever it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because there is there is that thing I think with with men, not all men out there, but that you know they don't tend to show their emotions like women. You know, would agree. Yeah, they are. It's getting better, but they are much more closed. Uh, certainly, when it comes to crying, you know that they're, they're they're better at like or they keep it in, which can often be to their detriment. Not all men, by the way. But yeah, a good cry is very cathartic and certainly in grief. Yes. Crying together as well can be a kind of like a bonding thing as well. You know, that you're all in it together, you know, kind of supportive. My husband's family cried with me, but then once COVID hit, I couldn't see them at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my son, on the other hand, he doesn't handle grief well. Mm. And so he, and he did the same when his grandmother passed. You know, he just kind of stays strong and very matter of fact and goal oriented. And this is what we need to do. And he was so focused on taking care of me. I don't think he, I don't even know if he still processes grief. I've tried talking to him about it. But again, like you said, men, my son is a grown maiden now. Mm. And so he he's taken it very differently. And then there's my grandchildren too. And so, you know, I've had to be strong for them and try to help them process because they were extremely close with their pop pop, is what they call them. Yeah. The grandchildren, isn't it? Like my son's very close to his grandparents and, you know, he adores them. So, Mm -hmm. and children, oh, our children sometimes perhaps depending on their age or, or, you know, they've still got young grades. They don't maybe quite understand what's what's going on what's happening for them so how did you support them how did you help them or your son or your daughter-in-law well with my son and daughter-in-law it we just kept open conversations with the Uh kids yeah you know we talked a lot about pop pop and shared stories about pop pop and let them talk about pop pop I know my grandson in particular, he's older, so I think he remembers him a lot better mm-hmm. than my granddaughter. My granddaughter was still quite young when he when he got sick and passed, but they remember him being in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And so my grandson in particular, anytime I get sick now, the first thing he does is, are you in the hospital? You know, he's terrified of the hospital. Yeah, yeah because of course he mind, thinks- yeah, sorry. Something bad will happen. Uh-huh. And that is very similar to a guest I have had on recently on the podcast. And she was going through a terrible time. And then sadly, her mother passed away. And 
Likewise, her children were very close to her mom and they lived with them for, for a short time, you know, so very close bonds have been formed. And she was very careful not to say something we can say here in the UK is, oh, they've just gone to sleep, you know, gone to sleep. And she was very careful not to use that phrase because she knew that they then probably had this phobia about going to sleep. That anxiety would rise. You know, I might not wake up or mommy, if you go to sleep, you won't wake up. So children will definitely make those associations, won't they? Yes. Which, which, which can only cause anxiety. So open conversations and honesty is, is perhaps the, the better way to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's important. Yeah. I just, with a lot of love sprinkled in there as well. So, you know, that they're in this loving, supportive environment, but open conversations for sure. Yes. Yes. I agree. So once you'd found perhaps, or you'd done your own research and you'd look for your mindful, you know, you were doing mindfulness and you were doing different meditation sessions or tracks. Did you work with a therapist at all, Joanne? Or no, no, you, 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 you did it all yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's possibly something with your background as well. Probably. Probably. I, I thought about seeking out therapy, but I was learning so much in the courses that I was taking and practicing what I was learning that I just started feeling better. Mm -hmm. So this experience, Joanne, obviously a very sad one, but you used it to, to now help others effectively. What did you then go on to do? I don't remember how it came about. I just, after taking all the courses and doing all of that, kind of started thinking, wow, maybe I can help others. At the same time that my husband was sick, my dearest friend, we've been friends since we were teenagers. We had our kids together. We're both the godparents of each other's kids. In fact, the long trip that we took beforehand was to go and visit my goddaughter. She, at such a young, young age, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And after many years of treatment and thinking everything was better, she, I guess, just one cell got loose and went to her brain and it turned into brain cancer. Oh, and no. so we had gone to see her and because all odds were she wasn't going to make it. And then ironically, my husband died before she did. And then she passed just a couple weeks later. Oh. And that was, again, something that just drove me because my best friend, you know, she was going through losing her daughter. So she couldn't be with me when I lost my husband. And then when her daughter did pass, I was not strong enough to support her. Yeah. It just, the timing was terrible, but she and I have been so supportive with each other of all these years and listening to each other and working, mm -hmm. you know, talking through it, and, mm -hmm. which brings up one thing that I think people often don't understand. And that is when you're grieving someone, you like talking about them. Yeah. Most people do. She and I both were like, you know, people are so worried about saying their name. Yeah. I want to say their name. I want to talk about them. Um, yeah, it's so really it's, funny thing is society, isn't it? That it's almost, it's uncomfortable. The other person finds it uncomfortable. They don't know quite what to say because I'm, I guess they, they're afraid of upsetting you. So I've had clients say to me, people have avoided them 
And they know why, because they don't want to talk about it for fear of upsetting me. But actually, it's upsetting me even more because they're staying away. Yes. Yeah. But your whole identity changed. I mean, as a widow, I I can only speak from my own experience. Yeah. But your whole identity changes. You know, you're, you're no longer a couple. So your friends that are couples that you would go to do things with as couples they're uncomfortable with you being not a couple. So those invitations dwindle away. And then, you know, people don't want to talk about, they don't want to bring them up because they're scared they're going to upset you. Mm. You, everyone says, well, let me know if I can do something. We don't know what we need people to do. So we don't pick up the phone and ask. Really, all we need is just someone to listen to us, someone to support us, someone to just, check in on us because we quite often will not reach out because we don't know what we need. We don't know what to tell you to do. When you say, let me know if you need anything, what do I need? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's an interesting process. Yeah, it is. And then you have the double pressure of, of being a single income. All of a sudden you have to deal with all of the, and you know, all the paperwork, it's just overwhelming sometimes. And it's, that's why during the first probably two months after he passed, it was just a, a fog. I was just, mm-hmm. it's a blur to me. I don't remember all of the details. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what a lot of people say. In fact, it reminds me of another client I had and she said she almost just went on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And after perhaps I even think she said two years or so, they'd lived abroad. They were living in Hong Kong and she organized everything and she came home and she was like, I'm fine now. You know, it was, gosh, it's two years ago now. Everything's okay. She said on one day it hit her like a ton of bricks and it, and it's grief because she had been so preoccupied with the admin, as you say, Joanne. She'd forgotten about herself, that self-care aspect. She'd forgotten about herself. So yes. that one day, out of the blue, it came crashing down on her. And that can happen if you don't work through it, that can happen. So now as well, you, you're a grief and a life coach. So tell us about that, Joanne. What does that entail? Who, who do you work with? What types of grief or people do you help and support? I work directly with women. Um, not that I don't appreciate how men grieve. I, it's just I'm more comfortable working directly with women because mm-hmm. I've experienced it as a woman. Yeah. I deal with people who've lost members from all different, you know, siblings, parents, spouses, children. So I do have a grief group mm-hmm. and I put together a grief course, but I'm revamping that. So that will be done in probably about another 30 days. Okay. And and as a course, it's it's more of just a healing pathway. It's not like it's fast. It's just a it's the tools. I provide the tools along the healing pathway and meet you where you are in your journey. And the healing pathway, you know, I'm familiar with the likes of Elizabeth Kubler Ross. And her, you know, the the cycle of grief, which can, which, which incorporates things like anger and what are the others like? So so, yeah, the Kubler-Ross model is probably 
the most well-known model of grief. There's a lot of, I'll just tell you that stage one is denial. Denial. That's where we're just, this isn't happening. Yeah. You're trying to let it sink in. Stage two is anger. Stage three is bargaining. And by bargaining, it's just kind of like, if I do this, it'll change the outcome or where I wish I had done that and or even bargaining with a higher power, mm. things along those lines. Stage four is depression. And stage five is acceptance. Now, the thing about this model is that it's not linear, mm-hmm. meaning you're not going to go through stage one, two, three, four, five, and be fine. Oh, look, I've just done denial. Now I'm going to go to anger. It doesn't work like that, does it? Well, keeps going back to we're all different. You may go in that in that pattern, but... You could. Yeah, you may not. You could. And you may not have, um, am I right to say, you may not even have all of them. You might just have one or two of them. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Or you may have two or three at the exact same time. Yeah. And so it's not a linear check off the list type of a model. It just, basically the model to me just explains the different aspects of grief and what you can feel because during the different stages, you may have different symptoms. And by symptoms, I mean grief affects our entire well-being. It affects us physically. It affects us cognitively. It obviously affects us emotionally, but it affects us spiritually. It truly affects your entire well-being. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think people really understand that. You know, I'll have people say, well, why am I having trouble sleeping? Why can't I eat? Why can't I think straight? Why am I so forgetful? Why all of these different things. And it's all grief. Mm. It's all a part of the grief journey. I, oh my goodness, I had widow brain for quite a few months. I walk into a room and be like, why am I in this room? I would, for, I was just so forgetful. I couldn't focus. Mm-hmm. I, I love to read and I'd sit down to read a book and I just couldn't even focus long enough to get through a chapter. Mm-hmm. So it just affects us in so many different ways. And so that's why I think that model helps explain how you can be affected overall. Another model that I kind of like is the whirlpool model of grief. I don't know if you've heard of that one. It's It's like, it's Dr. Richard Wilson's model. And it basically, it's the river of life where you go along this river and then all of a sudden you hit that waterfall and the river of life represents before grief Going over that waterfall is the whole grief. Like all of a sudden, this is where you are. You're floundering. And then when you get to the bottom, you're kind of like in just this whirlpool and you're spinning in a whirlpool of emotions. Mm. And your goal is to get out of that whirlpool and continue on down the river of life. Mm. Which goes back to the stage five acceptance. I don't think anybody ever... Well, let me put it this way. You don't get over your lost one. You you know, I'm not over my husband. I still love my husband. He's still a very big part of me. Yeah. But you need to get to a point in your life that you can carry that person with you and know that you love them, but also live life. Find happiness again. Find joy again. Be able to, you know, you're still alive. Yeah. Be able to live a happy, healthy life. While still honoring the one you've lost. Take so them with me, you that's what acceptance is. 
there's a there's a nice spiritual aspect there that they're still with yes. you either in your heart or by your side you know you may not see them physically but you can perhaps feel their presence and I kind of look at it as well that they would want me to continue living yes yes very much so and and I even made that promise yeah. my husband he he was very funny you know he 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 joked at one point he said, can you at least wait until after the funeral before we move the new guy in? <laughs> you know, and I'd be like, you were just so bad, you know? Yeah. And humor, but, you know, humor is really, is really, you know, cathartic, isn't it? You know, yes. whether that's with, you know, your partner who is passing or think of them in a humorous light, it can lift spirits. It can lift your mood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sadly, a friend of mine, she lost her husband to a brain tumour and she nursed him, you know, through through to the end. And, you know, in a way, she said that was cathartic and almost like her grieving started then. But they did, he did make plans for her. If just like, you know, just like your husband said to you, you know, don't be doing this and don't be doing that. But, you know, please go and study this and live your life and, you know, and I do, and she would say as well that that helped her immensely in her aftermath. Of course, she was devastated. Of course, she grieved and, and like you, still very much a part of her life. He he was her life. But she did say, you know, to him, I'll, I'll carry on living. I'll carry, I'll carry on. Yeah. Yes. And I made the same promise. And I think that's, I'm grateful that I was able to have that conversation. Mm. Unfortunately, many people don't get don't. that chance. Yeah, they don't. And I think that may be even more of a struggle for them mm. in trying to move on because they didn't get to have that mm. conversation. But it, but I think it's important to realize that most people, if they pass, would want you to live your life. Yeah. They wouldn't want you to be miserable and not finding some joy and some happiness and building your own future. I don't yeah. think anybody will want that for their loved one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's difficult to think of that in the beginning. And, you know, perhaps as you said, time's no, not so much a healer, but it allows you to just get better, heal better, you know, and it can take it, it can take years, it can take months, it doesn't really matter, you know. So how are you living your life now, Joanne, before we finish? Did you well, move in? <laughs> <laughs> Wait until after the funeral. Honestly, you know, initially for many, many, many months, I I was like not doing well. I mean, I'll yeah. admit it. I was not doing well. And I had a dream. I had not dreamt of my husband at all. You know, so many people have all these great dreams. I yeah. kept wanting to dream of him, but I hadn't. And then all of a sudden I had this dream of him where I was in an ocean of water, which is ironic because I talk about the waves of grief and how they'll hit out of nowhere. But I was in second the waves in the ocean. And all of a sudden my husband appeared and gave me a life preserver. And just said, baby, it's time for you to swim. And this was probably so in about, your dream. He said, baby, it's time for you to swim. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. And then woke up instantly. So, you know, me personally, I really feel like that was him. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I really do. I I know it's making me tear up. But I really do. I feel like that was him. Because the next day, it was amazing. It was like the next day. Yeah. I felt better. It was like a weight had lifted off of me. And then it was probably a few months after that. So I guess a little, about maybe 14 months after he Uh passed, I met someone. Yeah. And this person just made me laugh again and feel kind of giddy and happy like a teenager starting over. And we started dating and we've been together ever since. So, well, maybe it was time for you to swim. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of feel like maybe Richard sent him to me. I don't know. They have a lot in common. The sense of humor, the work ethic, the the way that they treat me, prioritize me. Kind of feel like he was sent to me. It's just wonderful. Really is. And that offers a lot of hope to everybody out there who is perhaps experiencing grief right now you know, that things will get better, you know, keep an open mind, take your time. It's probably good to see someone or at least attend groups or things like that, you know, get the support that you need. Just before we do finish, Joanne, is there any one piece or one takeaway that you would give to our listeners today if they are in that situation? Oh my goodness, practice self-care. Take care of yourself. Mm. It's so important. Mm -hmm. You, you're so overwhelmed that you will forget to eat and you're not sleeping well and you're not exercising and all of these things will actually make you feel better. So try to take it one hour, one day at a time, go out for a walk. Mm. If, if, If you are into exercise, go to the gym, Mm. do your best to get some sleep, do some breath work, do some meditation, just take care of you. And sometimes it may be as simple as just managing to get up and take a shower that day. You will have those days where that is an accomplishment, but that's okay. You did it. Yeah. Very well said. Small steps. Yes. Small steps and you will get there in the end look after yourself, take care of yourself and be kind and compassionate to yourself too. Joanne, thank you very much for your time today. Incredible. Well, thank and you so much for having me. I will pop your details on the show notes so that if anybody wants to get in touch with you, then they can. Is your group online, your grief group? Yes, it's on Facebook. So that's great. So they could get in touch with you. And if anybody's needing that, support or would like to come to your group then they could get in touch with you couldn't they yeah absolutely wonderful thank you so much joanne and you look after yourself and good luck with the courses and everything else thank you thank you so much and that's a wrap for this episode of bouncing back stronger thank you for joining me today i hope you found inspiration and valuable insights to help you bounce back stronger in your own life I'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to share your thoughts, insights or personal stories of resilience by reaching out to me via email 
all my social media channels in the show notes. I'll leave you with this. Resilience is a journey and we're in this together. Farewell for now, bouncer backers, and I look forward to seeing you all next week for more like this.